Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Echezadoku, and Michael Dryden. Dryden, how are you? I'm well. I'm about to spend a week in the English seaside because we can't go abroad. Um, a location cannot be disclosed, though, in case the haters come and find me. Oh, really? Is yeah. it Bognor Regis? It is Bognor Regis, yes. Hey, sorry. Yeah, so don't go there in case you want to. <laughs> I'm absolutely ecstatic about the return of Champions League football. Obviously, this is a Champions League special. Um, and the mini football style tournament that we're going to have, I'm excited about because it goes somewhere to making up for the lack of the Euros this year, which is devastating for all. I've mentioned it a few times on different pods. Um, and finally, Sutherland have a new kit out. We've got Nike again, um, which I think is good because, you know, jokes aside, I do think Nike make better striped kits. Yeah, do you think anyone actually cares that's going to listen to the podcast? No, there? no one cares. But we had a <laughs> Adidas, and I think the Adidas striped kits don't really look as good. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, trying to incorporate the stripes of the logo, or the brand, sorry, yeah. with the actual stripes of the kit yeah. doesn't really work. I mean, you should be grateful that those two uh, kit makers are making kits for you because it could be Macron. It could be Sondico. It could yeah, be Sondico. No one wants Sondico. Um, so how are you, Etches? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Uh, the last pod I said uh, that Javi Martinez was Bayern's first Spanish captain. I wasn't sure on the fact, but I was actually right. Well done. Happy well about done. that. Yeah, one gold star for me. Uh, so Arsenal have this training top right uh, it's like a icy lemon is what it's described as it looks horrible online like it is it's like 0 out of 10 online in terms of like source levels but right. when they when they wear it it's like 12 out of 10 source levels okay so I saw a guy in the park wear it on Sunday I was like oh I'm gonna go buy it and it's sold out everywhere hmm. so I've bought it from this Spanish shop called like hold on I've got the name uh El Corte Inglés. Oh, good pronunciation. Yeah, right? and basically, um, <laughs> I sent it to the wrong address. So, I've changed. They said they've changed the postcode for me, but I have a feeling it's Uh-oh. going. Oh, yeah. So, bit of problems with that. Well, people buy those training kits, and also, especially with Sunderland, they buy the retro tops a lot because they're always cheaper. Yeah. So, I think the new Arsenal top is like hundred pounds. Yeah, the, the real match one is a hundred pounds. Right. Okay, like but you can get the retro. Okay, yeah. but even so, like the. Training tops are like half the price yeah, or yeah, yeah. the retro tops as well. So people get them because it's so much money. Yeah, 100%. Because um, we're on the topic of Arsenal, FA Cup winners. Uh, fantastic result. Beating Chelsea 2-1. Abemiang. He has sold Zuma. This, this second goal is brilliant. It's like the way he lifted in that position. He sent, in Zuma, that he sent Zuma into 2021. Oh, good. Yeah, so that was a fantastic achievement. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so that's pretty much it. Actually, no, quickly... Uh, there was a guy in the pub who tried to shush me when Pepe scored that offside goal. Mm. And if he ever listens to this pod, I'm just really happy. This week, Jordan will be telling us all about Atalanta, their history, their route to the Champions League quarterfinals, and we'll discuss whether Atalanta can cement their place amongst the big boys. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast for media access to future episodes. Who are Atalanta and how have they performed historically? Atalanta Bergamasca Calcio. Good pronunciation. Are a Serie A, thank you. Serie A team um, based in Bergamo, Lombardy. They were founded in 1907 by Swiss students and they wear a very wavy blue and black stripe kit that they're very synonymous for having. Um, the name and badge depicts the female athlete of Greek mythology, Atalanta. They play at the Jewish Stadium that has a 
seater capacity and has recently been under renovation. Their local, their local and biggest rivals are Brescia, um, who they beat six two this season, um, which we'll go on to. Ouch. They're commonly referred to as Regina delle Provinciali, meaning Queen of the Provincial Clubs, um, with fifty eight seasons in Serie A, twenty eight seasons in Serie B, and only one season in Serie C. They have a revered youth academy. And as of 2014, they had 25 former youth players playing in Europe's top five leagues. They won the Coppa Italia in 1963, the only major piece of um, silverware. They reached the Cup Winners' Cup semi-final in 1988, despite still being in Serie B, which is regarded as the best performance ever by a non-division side and a, con- a non-first division side in a continental competition. They've played in the UEFA Cup on four occasions, four different seasons, reaching the 1990-91 quarter-final, losing to Inter Milan 2-0. They're regarded as a bit of a yo-yo club and have been relegated in 87, 94, 98, 2003, 2005 and 2010, synonymous with uh, with Sunderland probably. Um, and then came in 2011-12, they were docked six points as part of the Italian match-fixing scandal. Um, for Cristiano Doni's involvement in that scandal and other uh, players in Serie B and some of the lower leagues in Italy. Various players were arrested um, with, with police unveiling a complex gambling system involving criminal figures in Singapore, Eastern Europe and Italy. Yeah, after the issues with uh, Juventus, Milan, Fiorentina, Regina and Lazio, uh, I think that was in 2005-2006 type of time, you mm. would have thought Syria out. Caltropoli. Yeah, exactly. Um, you would have thought Syria out or, you know, the Italian League in general would have learned its lesson. Uh, clearly it hasn't. Mm. Also, you mentioned uh, Brescia, or Brescia being their uh, arch rivals. I think this season they've had Balotelli there. Uh, and he, he basically has had a Tory time there. His contract, I believe, has been terminated. There's that video that went round where he rocks up to the gates. Yeah, I was going to say that, but I didn't know if it was true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah he it, comes yeah. up to the gates and tries to get in, and they're like, yeah, no, you can't No, no, in. I say, no, can you go, go home, please? And that's a big L, to be honest with you, but <laughs> he, is, he is who he is. Yeah, in, in the months ahead, um, more high-profile players were arrested, such as uh, Stefano Mori, the, fa- the former Lazio vice-captain, and former Genoa captain Omar Milanetto. Domenico Crescito was investigated and ultimately excluded from the Italy squad for Euro 2012, which I vaguely remember. I don't remember the scandal much, but I remember there being some kind of issue with the Euro squad. That's mad. I didn't actually know that uh, about Crescito. He was a bit of a con on Ultimate Team. So I think he was like... Con. Yeah, back in the day, like 2011, 2012, he he was like rated like 84 overall you know good rating but then mm. his pace his pace was like 80 and you know you can't be a left back with 80 pace on my team because you'll get exposed yeah he's one of them players i have no information about other than fifa I, yeah yeah i know he played for zenit and Petersburg, but apart from that uh, my knowledge isn't mm. extensive mm. so despite the deduction the club managed to secure another year in Serie A by gaining 52 points in 38 games um, although they were docked a further two points next season where the scandal had overlapped. The two points seems a bit pointless, but yeah. there you go. It could be the difference between um, a certain position in the league. After that period, Atalanta consistently finished in the bottom half of Serie A um, until the 16-17 season where Gian Piero Gasparini led Atalanta to what was their highest ever league finish at the time, finishing fourth with 72 points. And Gasparini is still the manager today. 
Who owns Atalanta? Do they have resources behind them? So the majority shareholder is Antonio Percassi, a former Atalanta player who debuted in the 1970-71 season and went on to play seven seasons for Atalanta. His initial stint as chairman actually was in 1990 until 1994. He regained the helm in 2010. Picassi is actually listed 1,990th on the Forbes 2020 billionaires list um, with an estimated fortune of $1.1 billion. He's a real estate and retail mogul and owner of Kiko Milano, an Italian cosmetics brand, cosmetics brand that a lot of listeners will, will know very well. Yeah, you do, don't you? Mm, big fan. He allegedly offers the black and the black and blue jersey, or has been known to, to all babies born in Bergamo hospitals, which will need some serious verification. But I read that online. <laughs> he does have significant resources, and this has, to an extent, contributed to Atalanta's rise. Last summer, Atalanta signed Luis Muriel, an Ultimate Team legend from Sevilla, for around eighteen million, and Ruzian Malinowski from Genk for around 12 million. Yeah, for a mid-table sort of side, as you previously mentioned, that is significant investment. Mm. I wonder, after this fantastic campaign, how many of their current stars will be poached during this upcoming Mm. transfer window? Yeah, absolutely. Duvan Zapata's 12.6 million loan deal was made permanent in January 2020 for an additional 10.8 million. It's quite an expensive Mm. loan deal, but you do wonder, a lot of these deals, these loan deals probably do come at quite a hefty price, but it's not often reported. Yeah, they've just made Mario Pelicic's deal permanent for around thirteen point four million pounds. Um, the only Croatian to score hat trick in Serie A did so against that in that game against Brescia, where they won six two. However, these aren't extortionate sums. Probably quite a lot for Serie A and for a mid-table team as yourself, but certainly not for a team that is now occupying Champions League spots. Um, they re-signed Martin Darun, for example, from Middlesbrough. I believe he played in their relegation team for around twelve million, um, but had previously sold him for nine million. So not a big difference there. And their final three lineups of this season, Serie A, against AC Milan, Parma, and Inter. Um, the remainder of the players, aside from those that I mentioned, were either academy players or acquired for less than six million pounds. Bargain, Mario Pasilic. Never actually played for Chelsea and is another player from the huge mm. loanee system that was bought for virtually nothing and sold for a profit. And judging from their signage, you know, this summer where they've, what was it, Werner's come in as well as Ziyech and there's rumours of Kai Havertz, mm. clearly it's paying off. Yeah, Getting absolutely. these guys for two, 300k, maybe even less. Mm. And then you're selling them for 13 million. Uh, yeah, even had- if you're selling them for four or five million a piece, if you've got 30, 40 yeah. in the network coming through. It's crazy. Mad profitable. One day we'll do a pod on that. Absolutely. Can you tell me a bit more about Gasparini? How have Atalanta grown under him? So Gasparini is a former player. He came through the Juventus youth system, making his first senior league appearance on loan to Reggiana in 1977. He didn't play a Serie A game for Juve and making a handful of Coppa Italia appearances. He made most of his senior appearances as a player for Palermo Pescara, Playing mostly in Serie B and Serie C1, and bar a few seasons in Serie A and with Pescara. He retired in 1993 at the age of 35. To start off his coaching career, between 94 and 2003, Gasparini coached within the Juventus youth system 
He then went on to Serie C1 club, Crotone, guiding them to Serie B via the playoffs. He then went to Genoa in 2006, gaining promotion to the Serie A in his first season. Um, and in 08-09, he led Genoa to fifth place, their highest finish in 19 years, utilising players such as the absolute legend Diego Milito uh, and Thiago Motta in a 3-4-3 formation, which we'll come on to discuss. Um, he was sacked in 2010 following a string of poor results, despite signing the eternal man Luca Toni and Rafina on loan from Barca. Strong signings. Yeah, your your pronunciations this week have been spot on. Mm, been you working been, on it. You've been working hard, mate. Mm. Um, another week, another Eternal Man reference. Keep it up. Uh, I just Luke, love like referencing all players. Okay, that's a bit weird. But um, yeah, so Luca Tony had that cele- the celebration. You know the one yeah, with the, hand- the um, that's the um, Kamara one as well. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? I googled it because I was like, "What does yeah, it actually mean?" Yeah, I've always mean? thought that. Apparently, it's like it's an Italian thing. This just sounds like you know, online rubbish, but apparently mm-hmm. it means, can you hear, can you hear what I've just done? Can you see what I've just done? Apparently that's what it means. Yeah, Henri Cameron did it for Fulham, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He? Did and I was well. so, so bemused as to what it meant. Sorry, no, 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 no sorry. Diamante Camera is who I meant. No, and also Bobby Zamora did it as well. So yeah, the Fulham connections are you sure? Rife. Yeah, I'm absolutely certain. Okay, good. <laughs> so after Genoa, Gasparini went on to Inter shortly after, and was sacked in September after a disastrous start um, before going on to Palermo and then returned to Genoa for a second stint in 2013. And then in 2016, he finally arrived at Atalanta. Since his arrival, Atalanta finished 4th, 7th, 3rd and 3rd, so the final one being this season, qualifying for the Europa League in his first season and qualifying for the Champions League, obviously, for the first time in Atalanta's history and now the second. They reached the Coppa Italia final in 2018-19, losing 2-0 to Lazio. Tactically, Gasparini is known for using complex variations of a 3-4-3, and 3-4-2-1. His team's playing style places more focus on scoring goals, off-the-ball movements and quick short passes on the ground, and less focus on long balls and the defensive side of the game. His most commonly used formation is the 3-4-1-2, which lends itself to a wide approach with wing-backs pushing up um, into advanced positions. Then one of the central midfield players or strikers coming across to produce that overload um, in advanced wide areas. Interestingly, when on one side, width is maintained on the other side, so typically a team will shift across. The system encourages a lot of positional switching, demanding a lot of central midfield players such as Martin Derume, Remo Freuler, and the more, a little bit further forward, but still central, Mario Pasalic. They provide defensive cover or an attacking run or a passing option, depending on the position of the centre-backs, wing-backs and strikers. Clearly the system has worked very well for them, with Muriel, Illich and Zipata all scoring 19-plus goals this season, with Alejandro Gomez weighing in with 18 assists. Mm as they top the Serie A scoring charts, bagging, I think, 98 goals, which is 17 more than second place into Milan. Mm. That's a lot of goals. That is a lot of goals. What about this season? Can you tell us about Atalanta's road to the Champions League? So despite their all-out attack philosophy, Atalanta had a pretty consistent season. So from game week two to game week 38, they never left the top six in the Serie A. They won 2-0 with a Roma in September, 
won 7-1 against Udinese in October and beat AC Milan 5-0 in December, so a strong start to the season. The week after that AC Milan result, they beat Parma 5-0 and then recorded a 7-0 win away to Torino in January. Before the season was out, they also won away to Lecce 7-2 and beat Brescia, as I mentioned three times now, 6-2 at home. So clearly um, favouring offence over defence. Uh, they picked up only one point each from Inter and Juve, but did take four points from Napoli. Yeah, you do wonder whether against a side like Atletico, if they were to keep in the Champions League, whether they'd be able to actually win. That would be an interesting matchup. Yeah, their their attacking ball seems to overwhelm sides of similar level to them or slightly superior. But then when against the elite, elite, you know, they struggle slightly. I think I checked the Juve scores. I think it was 2-2 was one game and they lost 2-1 yep. away or 2-0. No, it was 3-1 away, I think. 3-1 away. And even Napoli, you know, that's a good four points from them, but they're not as good as they used to be and the Sari, et cetera. And it kind of makes you think about the Arsenal teams of old who would rock up to like Villa and beat them 6-0. You send us away to Chelsea and we just like lose 2-0. Yeah, yeah, so, definitely. But it'll be interesting to see. Mm, so eventually, Atalanta finished third with 78 points. Only five points behind eventual winners, Juve. In Europe, Atlanta had a very, very rocky start. Lost 4-0 away to Dynamo Zagreb. 2-1 at home to Shaskar Donetsk. And 5-1 away to Man City. So they lost their opening three games on zero points. So despite looking destined for elimination, Atlanta drew with City 1-1 at home. Beat Zagreb 2-0 at home. And defeated Donetsk 3-0 away to qualify with seven points. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, I haven't really got much reference point for the low. I don't know what the lowest um, points total has been to get through, but that's low. Yeah, very. Low. All their group stage home games, interestingly, had to be played at the San Siro due to the wafer regulations and the club undergoing renovation at their home ground. So not a bad alternate stadium there no. um, for the club. Um, what was also interesting is UVA president Andrea Agnelli believes that sides like Atalanta should not be in the Champions League. Um, and said that, I believe, this season, claiming they just had one good season. So he's now eating his words after that second, third place finish in a row. So in the Champions League round of 16, Atalanta faced Valencia, winning 4-1 at home in the opening leg, thanks to two goals from right wing back Hans Hatteboer and a goal each from Ilicic and box-to-box central midfielder Remo Freuler. In the return leg at the Mestalla, Ilicic scored four times, twice from the penalty spot as Atalanta run out 4-3 winners winning the overall tie 8-4 on aggregate they now face PSG in what will be arguably their stiffest test yet yeah the game against PSG PSG will be their toughest game yet (laughs) but with it being one leg it's almost easier for them in a way you know they have as much chance as anyone to win the tie and for neutrals they'll be rooting for them and I also think they just won't have the pressure PSG mm. have that massive, you know, weight on their shoulders of, you know, we bought Neymar, all these expensive players. Yeah, absolutely. When's that CL going to arrive? Whereas Atalanta can just rock up for one 90-minute game and just say, you know, we'll give it our best. Mm. Um, they won't have Illich for that game, unfortunately, but they still have some fantastic yeah, players. Yeah, he's been away for the last few games. Yeah, in he? their ranks. So that should be a good game. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to start the same against PSG that they did against Valencia. So they typically start with Hatabo on the right, Gossens, left wing-back, with Freyer and Darun central midfield, uh, Palomino, Caldera and Taloy are typically the three centre-backs they start with um, in front of Galini. Pasalic starts a little bit further ahead of Freyer and Darun typically with either Gomez, Ilicic, Zapata or Muriel 
um, playing it furthest forward. Um, Gomez and Ilicic started against Valencia, obviously with Ilicic bagging six goals across the tie. So whether they um, progress in the Champions League and continue that Champions League journey remains to be seen. But I think what the discussion point is to finish on is can Atalanta survive with the big boys? Tactically, they are very interesting and very complex, as I've touched on. They play with a kind of intensity that a number of successful sides in the modern game play with. Liverpool, City, the list goes on. And personnel has clearly been recruited to fit Gasparini's system, um, which could be dangerous should Gasparini ever decide to leave. As individually, they're not revered players in their own right. Um, we touched on Darun being a, in a relegated man, a Middlesbrough team, for example. And once you become a Champions League team over a number of years, I think recruitment naturally becomes more expensive. So we touched on those five, six million apiece players that they brought in to bolster their squad and to fit that tactical um, profile that Gasparini built. But that becomes less possible over time as you become a Champions League team. However, they do have a very wealthy owner in Percassi and will receive significant revenue from their stints in the Champions League. The stadium has just been renovated and they also have a strong youth academy. Um, Dejan Kuleski came from the Atalanta youth system and was sold for 44 million euros to Juve, despite not playing many games for Atalanta. was loaned out of Palmer, sold to Juve, loaned out of Palmer again. So <laughs> good, good piece of business from Atalanta. So another potential revenue stream or another potential feeder into the first team. For those of you scrolling on your phones to know who uh, Dejan Kulovaleski is, he just won uh, Syria Young Player of the Season. Um, oh, good so that's fact. a good fact indeed. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned the point about uh, you know players no longer being five or six million. That is true. The bigger a club gets, but their own revenue also swells. Um, more established players are more likely to join, plus the stars you have are more likely to stay. Um, I think the key aim for Atalanta to really survive with the big boys is keeping hold of Gasparini, he's doing a good job, mm. and their current stars, uh, but that won't necessarily be that easy. Mm. And yeah, I think we spoke about it before the pod, they have quite an aging team, don't they? Yeah. Um, so even if they do retain those players, they're going to have to be replaced eventually, and if they want to retain that level, then that's going to be... You know, expensive seemingly. Yeah, I quickly Googled it. Uh, so it's in Muriel, uh, Illich, uh, Gomez, and Zipata, all over 29. Mm, they're, um, they're key. They, they are key. I mean, that's just for them. You know, the other players in the team as well, we may not have mentioned, but you know, when you've got guys that have scored over 18 goals each yeah, from that yeah. group, not Gomez, but then Gomez has got the 18 assists. Yeah. No matter how you look at it, they're key, really key Absolutely, players. Yeah. And getting back to the discussion, Serie A is seemingly very saturated as well. So you've got a number of teams vying for that top four spot. You've got Roma, Milan, Napoli and Fiorentina all missed out on Champions League football this season. Fiorentina you don't often see there but have been known to pop up in the Champions League. Um, so if you discount Fiorentina from that list, there's seven teams vying for the top four places. Atalanta's current wage bill will not be anywhere near that of their peers currently. So missing out may not create such a fallout. But this miss may change over time if, as I've said, they attempt to retain their stars or build upon them. So then it becomes that kind of Leeds United argument of do we spend to to basically follow that dream? 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a correlation between wage bill and league position, as well as money spent on transfers and league position. So Atalanta, obviously, are the anomaly now. Mm. So everyone's like, you know, they're bucking the trend. But that only happened for so long. You know, you look at teams in England, like United, who are beginning to get their act together because they keep on spending huge sums of money. Atalanta will need to do both that as well as increase their wage bill in order to consistently be there. Otherwise, it eventually will catch up on them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it just it just will. Um, you, you're right about the Serie A becoming quite saturated, a little bit like the Premier League. Mm. Uh, so it, it's so fierce that sides always miss out. So it wouldn't really be it wouldn't be really a failure, or Atalanta wouldn't be considered a, a big player if they miss out on Champions League a few seasons. I think is the whole infrastructure around it. So if they're in one year or in two years and out one, that's not necessarily that bad. But I think it's trying to build on that, you know, bigger mm. stadium, bigger players, bigger manager, bigger yeah, draw. Yeah, they don't have that margin for error that uh, United have. No, United no, have, have failed or Arsenal yeah, for so long, but have that kind of safety net. Whereas yeah. if you're Atlanta, you, d- you depend on, almost depend a lot on those stars that we mentioned, but mainly Gasparini's system and those players that fit within it. Yeah. If they have a bad season next season, if for whatever reason Gasparini leaves, gets a better job, then suddenly where are you? You might, have to, you might have someone coming in wants to build a different system. He want, might want new players, better players, and it might just not work out and Atlanta might fade away. That's all from us. Thank you to Dryden for doing the research. No and problem. Enjoy your trip. Oh, thank you very much. To uh, Bogner Regis. To Bogner Regis for all the fans out there. And thank you to you guys for tuning in to this week's Why Football podcast. Please don't forget to follow us at YFootball underscore on Twitter. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast for immediate access to our future episodes. Cheers, guys. Cheers.